0: Your bone marrow is sort of a depository of all the stem cells that the body needs. There's a direct link between how much red marrow you have left in your body and how productive that red marrow is. Stem cell exhaustion is a phenomenon of the bone marrow, but it's a phenomenon of aging, and then give you back your own stem cells so these stem cells can repopulate your bone marrow. Any drugs out there, they're all designed not to cure your problem, and now a concept comes That concept is curative.
1: Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing. Tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this.
2: Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Oh my goodness, friends. Today's episode was such a long time coming. I had been wanting to do a deep dive into stem cells for so long. And Christian Drapeau ended up being just the perfect resource for that. And like I talk about, I think in the show, I got to meet him and his wife, Stephanie at Dave Asprey's ninth annual biohacking conference. And that was just so exciting. It was actually right before recording this. And then I was just even more pumped about the episode. I am really blown away by the potential healing power of stem cells. I'm excited to see where it goes. I know there's a lot of issues with legalization and controversy. Going back, to moral questions, which are on potentially dubious foundations. We talk about that in today's episode. We also talk about so many things, including how you can naturally support the release of your own stem cells. Does fasting deplete stem cells? What conditions can stem cells address? Whether or not stem cells are limited? So many things affecting longevity and so much more. I cannot wait to hear what you guys think. And actually, after listening to this episode, I got some actual stem cell injections. So I will keep you guys updated on that, but that can be a little bit unapproachable for some people. And after reading Christian's book and interviewing him, I'm thinking it might just be as beneficial to naturally support your own stem cell release with something like his supplement Stem Regen. So if you would like to get that to support your own endogenous stem cell release, you can go to Stemregen.co that's S-T-E-M-R-E-G-E-N.co and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon that will get you 15% off your first order. So again, that is S-T-E-N M R E G E N dot CO, with the coupon code Melanie Avalon for 15% off your first order. I am so thankful to Christian and Stephanie for that. So thank you to them. And of course, if you would like to hang out with me and us at the next biohacking conference, definitely get on my email list because I will be sharing a major discount code for the next conference, which is the 10th annual conference next year in Dallas. I am so excited about that. So to get on my email list, go to melanieavalon.com slash email list. So as a brief reminder, if you would like to get your own Stemregen and boost your endogenous stem cell release, go to stemregen.co, S-T-E-M-R-E-G-E-N.co and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon for 15% off your first order. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon Official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it, so please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you are currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE and I really experience the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us friends. Have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code Melanie Avalon, as well as a 20% off code when you text Avalon X to 877-861-8318. That's Avalon X to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash MDLogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys. If you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app food sense guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts, and friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon, so you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now. Before we change to subscriptions, you can get it at melanieavalon.com slash And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the US that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity? If you are using conventional skincare makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare and makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up and just endocrine disruptors in general, which may mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called beauty counter, and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin. So you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum. They have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type, and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code clean for all 20 to get 20% off site-wide. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I'm about to have. I feel like it has been such a long time coming. Okay, so the backstory on today's conversation, this was a while ago, like months ago, months and months ago this beautiful human being, Stephanie Drapo, reached out to me on Instagram about the work of her husband, Christian Drapo. He works in the stem cell world and basically said that we were in similar circles and would I like to read his book and possibly have him on the show. And so I was very intrigued because I've been wanting to learn more about stem cells. I literally knew nothing about them except for the fact that they're very controversial and yet all the biohackers and all the people are always talking about them. So I was very excited about the idea and then since then became friends with Stephanie on Instagram even more read the book. The book is Cracking the Stem Cell Code. It was so exciting to read it because like I said I was new to learning about stem cells and friends. It's the deepest dive into everything I could have ever wanted to know, at least right now, because I know things are always changing with stem cells. So I am thrilled about the conversation that we are about to have. And then on top of that, I actually just got back from Dave Asprey's ninth annual biohacking conference, and I got to meet Stephanie and Christian in real life and sit with them at the VIP dinner. So they are just incredible human beings. I'm just so excited about this conversation that we're about to have. So Christian, thank you so much for being here.
0: My pleasure, Melanie.
2: So I have, well, first of all, how did you enjoy the conference, by the way?
0: I loved it. I mean, it is the top conference in our field right now, the biohacking conference with with Dave Asprey. But honestly, for me, I've been doing this kind of work for 20 years. I've been trying and working to put the message out there of understanding the natural role of stem cells and the power of releasing our own stem cells. And I would say over the past six months, I mean, it's a continental shift in what I'm seeing in terms of the reception from the general population. People are now getting it. Where it's coming from, I don't know, but there's such a, a deepening here of the understanding of the message on the on the marketplace. So it was it was perfect. It was a great conference for us.
2: That's awesome. And I was actually thinking about that right before jumping on. I was thinking about how I feel like stem cells and psychedelics are like the two health topics where there's been so much controversy and it's like we've been waiting for this shift to happen where it'll be embraced as something to seriously study for the the health potential. And reading your book, it was really interesting to hear about the history of everything. I have so many questions for you. Before I get into them, your personal story, which you do share in the book, What made you interested in the potential of stem cells, both endogenous and exogenous, but more so the endogenous? What led to what you're doing today?
0: You know, it's, it's, well, I, it's, I was going to say it's an interesting story. It's my story. So, of course, I think, I think it's interesting. But, but my point here is that it's interesting in the fact that it is, I think, a great example of, The traditional process of scientific investigation. So I had no knowledge, no specific interest in stem cell research. I was hired in 1995 to study a plant that probably a lot of people have heard about, blue-green algae from Klamath Lake. It has been on the marketplace for maybe three, four decades. And so I started to study this plant to essentially document the mechanism of action of the health benefits that have been associated with that plant, that blue-green algae. And very quickly, we documented the mechanism of action on the anti-inflammatory properties, immune stimulation properties, and also on the mind. Most people would take this product and would report some sort of mental clarity, mental energy, a sense of mood elevation. But as I'm doing all this work, I came across people who reported reversal or significant improvement in conditions like multiple sclerosis, heart disease, diabetes, liver failure, emphysema, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and kidney failure. And the list was not only impressive, but from a purely scientific standpoint, the question in my mind was what is this plant doing to bring benefits? touching so many different aspects of human health. So for a number of years, it was sort of a a mystery. We did not have a a good explanation until one day I came across an article that was describing for the first time, to my knowledge, that a stem cell had migrated, had left the bone marrow and then migrated in the brain and became a neuron in the brain. So we need to go back in 2001. This is January 2001. Stem cells are only precursors to blood cells. And of all cells in the body, the brain is not an organ here that that regenerate very easily. So for stem cells to become a brain cell, that was by itself also quite impressive. So I wondered what else I could find in the scientific literature. So I went to the local library. This is pre-internet, or at least before the time when articles, scientific articles were on the internet. So I went and I looked at what I could found, and I, 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 I found an article documenting stem cells going to the liver, to become liver cells, and to the heart and becoming heart cells. So from that, from there, my thought was, if stem cells can become brain, heart, and liver Liver, why not pancreas, long skin, and the rest? It makes no sense that they would become those three organs and not the rest. And if they do, it's just a matter of time for scientists to discover that. And if that is true, then they have to be the repair system of the body. So I published an article in the journal Medical Hypotheses suggesting that stem cells are the repair system of the body. And in the back of my mind, the thought was what if that plant is working as a stem cell mobilizer, releasing stem cells? from the bone marrow. It would then explain everything because once you release stem cells, they will go into the diabetic the, the pancreas of the diabetic, the heart of the heart patient, the brain of the Parkinson patients, and so on. So we Put this hypothesis out, we acquired a flow cytometer to start to count stem cells, first in our own blood, but very rapidly, we discovered that this plant was acting as a stem cell mobilizer. And that was the day when my entire career shifted, and and I started to work in the field of stem cell research. So it, it all came through traditional scientific investigation.
2: So at the time when you found that paper about the stem cell migrating to, you said it was the liver was the one place.
0: Correct. The first one, the first one was the brain and then we found liver and the heart as well. Yeah.
2: Right. So at that time, did we know about local tissue stem cells doing repair? Like what was known at all at the time?
0: Nothing. Zero. The only thing that we know and now we can look at it from a different angle is that we knew that the liver had the type of cells that played a role in the repair of the liver. They were called oval cells. We knew that muscles had cells also that were participating to the repair of muscle. They were called satellite cells. What we know today is that they are muscles and liver stem cells. And then what we have discovered later is that, well, all tissues of the body, all organs, have the same thing. But it was first known in those tissues, and I'm sure a few other tissues, but never with this understanding that we have today that these are full-blown stem cells and they come from the bone marrow. So from the bone marrow to the blood, blood migrating into a tissue at the entrance of when the artery gets into a tissue. Most of the time, this is where you find the uh, the stem cell layer in that tissue. And that's where you've got that population of resident stem cells in an organ or a tissue responsible for the repair of that tissue.
2: Okay, so the stem cells local to the tissue, does the tissue already have stem cells and then additional ones come from the bone marrow or does everything come from the bone marrow in the beginning always?
0: Well, it's, it's a hard question to answer in the sense that you start as a one embryonic stem cell, the zygote that starts to grow and develop. And at what time in this process are your organ fed, you know, with stem cells where stem cells integrate these tissues? But let's put it this way. The day you are born, yes, your tissues have those stem cells and then they continue to be replenished during your entire life from stem cells from the bone marrow.
2: Okay, and then those stem cells in the tissue, so the ones at birth and the ones that come in from the bone marrow, because you talk about this in the book. So, what is the difference between, say, we have a stem cell in the liver that was there when we were born? So, it's a liver stem cell, and you know, we call it a satellite cell. It knows it's a, a liver stem cell. What's the difference between that cell hanging out? Wait, muscle? Did I say muscle or liver? or <laughs> liver.
0: <laughs> Both of them. Ovals, oval cells in the liver, satellite cells in the muscles.
2: Okay. So we'll say the muscle because I said satellite. So in the muscle, what's the difference between that and a stem cell that comes from the bone marrow and then becomes a muscle satellite stem cell? Is it the same thing now or is it different?
0: It's different. It's a very important question because I think there, there's, it's the first time I got that question. And I think there's probably a lot of confusion about it because we all call them stem cells and they're not all the same. So let's answer that question by talking about the life story of a stem cell. So the stem cell, it divides in the bone marrow. When it leaves the bone marrow, it leaves a sister cell in the bone marrow so that you never really deplete the bone marrow. So that stem cells now that leaves the bone marrow, that cell is now going to lose telomerase, as soon as it gets into a tissue. Telomerase is the enzyme that maintains telomeres so that in your bone marrow, you never have cells that basically run out of telomere and then they can no longer divide. So they are there. That's why we call them immortal cells. They will be there during your entire life. So when when the stem cell leaves the bone marrow and gets into a tissue, upon contact with cells of that tissue, the stem cells will start its transformation into cells of that tissue, into that lineage. At that point, they are oftentimes referred to as progenitor cells. So that's a stem cell that has started its journey into becoming cells of a specific tissue. That's what we call resident stem cells. They're still stem cells because they can become many different types of cells of that tissue. Some of them can even reverse back to a more primitive state and even leave that tissue and go somewhere else. It has been documented. But for the sake of this discussion, let's just say they are now engaged into a lineage and they sit in that tissue and they are responsible for renewal of that tissue but these cells are no longer immortal they will have they will run out of not run out they're going to fully engage in that process of cellular division and at some point the stem cell that is there as a progenitor cell will have become let's say a few thousand tissue cells so that layer of stem cells needs to be replenished to be able to maintain health of the tissue
2: so it's sort of like you have a family with kids already in the family, like the tissue stem cells, and then you're like adopting kids that that come in and help out a
0: little. <laughs> pretty good analogy, yeah. Then they become adults. They they leave the home. They go on their own, and so you need to have kids coming all the time. Yeah, it's pretty good analogy. <laughs> okay,
2: wait. This is a very specific question, but I was wondering at reading your book because you talked about how sometimes the bone marrow stem cells leave and then they go into the tissue but then they don't, like they don't stay or they don't differentiate, like they go back to the bone marrow basically, but then they have markers of having been there. Does that happen?
0: Yeah, this, this is an interesting question. So what you get in the book here is my interpretation, if you want, of what we find in the scientific literature. And so this comes from the fact that when you isolate stem cells from the bone marrow, it has been documented that you find a lot of stem cells that have markers of, let's say, liver stem cells, muscle stem cells. So so it led to this idea that your bone marrow is sort of a depository of all the stem cells that the body needs. But I think like many times in science, we observe something and and this is something that is moving, it's transforming, it's 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 evolving. But when we look at it, we take a picture of it. And that picture is oftentimes very misleading when you look at a phenomenon that is really changing over time. So what I think is really happening is that you do have, and this is well documented, you could have a stem cell that gets into a tissue, gets in contact with that tissue, starts to become resident stem cells of that tissue, and then gets released back from the tissue, gets back in the blood circulation, and stem cells will typically be attracted to the bone marrow. This is sort of the, this is the, the, the mothership, it's the headquarter. If they don't find a tissue where to migrate, they go back to the bone marrow. So now you have in your bone marrow, a stem cell that has, that is showing the characteristics of that tissue in which it resided for a little while. And, and the reason why I tend to really interpret that data in that way is that it was clearly shown that you have stem cells, for example, in the liver that could transform into into pancreatic cells that can make insulin, showing that it can revert back and retransform into something else. So in that way, your bone marrow, at least the, I would say the labile, the, the, I don't know what's the right way here of describing it, like the pool of stem cells readily available to be released in the bone marrow is a more divergent or a more uh, a greater variety of types of stem cells in the bone marrow. So, so I believe it comes from that phenomenon.
2: Couldn't you check that then by seeing if those cells with the markers have the telomerase affected already, like to see if they've left already or not?
0: You are a good scientist. Yes, we probably could do that. You know, we are 20 years in a field of, you know, in a relatively few field of research, sorry, not few, new field of research. And there are tons of questions that are still unanswered. And they will be answered by really traditional, I should say, academic science because nobody really gains financially from, from those kinds of research. It's more a deepening of our our understanding of how they work in the body and their normal physiology. And to a large extent, like any new field of science, it is developed, pushed, funded by entities that gain financially from it. That's the motor, you know, that's the engine, you know, that fuels really all that development. So at this point, these kinds of studies would be very interesting to do. To my knowledge, this work has not been done.
2: Random question. Does bone marrow have tissue-specific bone marrow stem cells, like to repair the bone marrow?
0: I mean, to repair the bone, yes. Yeah, they are your typical, you know, osteoblast, which basically blast is an ancient term for stem cells. The, the very, very embryo is called the blastocyst, so blastomere. So basically, the word blast, anytime you see that word, it means a primitive cell. So your osteoblasts are your bone stem cells, if you want. I'm not aware of a stem cell that is specifically for the bone marrow, if not those that are referred to as mesenchymal stem cells that, are, that were known historically to be the cells maintaining the bone marrow.
2: Okay, gotcha. And this is a very naive question, but do they go through the bone to get in and out of the bone marrow?
0: They do not go through the bone. I mean, they go through the blood circulation just like any other cells. There is bone, you know, there is blood circulation into the, the, the living part, if you want, of the bone. And that, that's how they get access to, to this layer of osteoblast.
2: Okay. Because like when I envision a skeleton, I don't see how it's getting through the bone.
0: It doesn't go through the bone. It goes through the sort of the, the living part of the bone. So it goes through the blood vasculature that is inside the bone marrow, either red or, or fatty marrow. But you have blood circulation that basically leads to this layer of, of which is inside the bone, this layer of a that is rebuilding the bone which is a constant process. You lose bone. Your bone is your calcium deposit in a way. So you're constantly having this calcium balance. It's not the only, the only phenomenon, but one of the phenomenon is this calcium balance in the body by releasing calcium from the bone and rebuilding the bones as well with this balance between osteoblast and osteoclasts. So, so that is happening you know, in that layer where you find these cells.
2: What is the difference between red and yellow bone marrow?
0: Well, the, the the main difference, just like their name implies, you know, the red marrow is uh, as extreme blood supply. It is filled with cells that are basically contained stem cells. So this is where stem cells are being produced. There's a whole population of cells that are supporting the stem cells. So if you actually extract stem cells, not stem cells, cells from the bone marrow, it's roughly about one per 10,000 cells that is a stem cell. So there's a whole environment that support these stem cells. But that red marrow transform into fatty marrow. So they're basically fat cells that are, uh, as an analogy, probably the same thing where you accumulate fat, you know, into your body, which is sort of a, it's not completely inert, but let's call it in the bone marrow, a relatively inert deposit of fat cells. And then basically the red marrow slowly shrinks over time and is replaced by what we call yellow marrow, fatty marrow. Okay, gotcha. No, it, and it's a normal process. It's not something that, I mean, to to our knowledge of today, I don't think there's anything known because it has never been studied. There could very well be something that can reduce the speed or the rate at which the red marrow converts into yellow marrow, and that would be, in itself, an amazing field of science because it, it there's a direct link between how much red marrow you have left in your body and how productive that red marrow is and your health today, your ability, your ability to repair and your health for the rest of your life. So if there was a way of affecting that rate of conversion, it would be noble price material.
2: Red bone marrow, it's rich in stem cells, healing potential versus this yellow bone marrow, which is more just like the fatty, fatty part of it. So that transition there's like a why question, is it a degeneration or is it just the body doesn't intend to live forever? And so that's just the normal process.
0: I don't have a good answer for it in the sense that that again this is part of the things that have not been very very well studied so far in that field of science that conversion is very well known because it's a normal part of your physiology in the same way that something like i don't know you 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 a woman will run out of fur you know of eggs you know And after menopause, they're gone. It's just a normal part of the aging process of the human body. But there's an observation, if you want, in nature, that for me is, is really hard to escape. And it's the fact that from a... From a biological standpoint, as, as animals, if you want, as mammals, we have evolved over as human beings over let's say, the past 50,000 years, or however, number of years that, that we want to, to consider when it started, but it's you're talking tens of thousands of years with a life expectancy of 30 years of age. Longevity has never been selected. In our biology in our evolution so so in a way we have today the result of that evolution and we now have reached 80 years of age only in the past you know 100 to 200 150 to 200 years so we we now have a longevity extra years for which our physiology our biology has not evolved to, to, to live that long so so I think that the bone marrow almost reflects that. The bone marrow being your repair system, your ability to live and to age with health, that ability was not needed past 30 years of age historically. And it's just, I think it's just, it's, it's, we, we run out of it. And now we're trying to find ways to hack into it and support this natural ability to repair.
2: Okay. So looking at that more, because talking about running out of it, because you mentioned earlier when the, the stem cells leave the bone marrow with the sister stem cell and it doesn't deplete anything. So are we depleting anything at all? Is there a potential issue of over-mobilizing stem cells?
0: There's no data that I'm aware of that exists as far as I know that points in that direction. What I mean by this is, and we can look at it from from a number of angles. For example, nobody runs out of stem cells. Like if there was such a thing as if you release more, then you will run out of them faster, then you would think that people like Olympic athletes, for example, that train really intensely for years. And any time that you train with intensity, you release stem cells. This has been documented and published. Probably caused by micro injuries in muscles, tendons, and, and tissues. Well, do you see Olympic athletes running out of stem cells earlier than others? No, it's not. A, it's not something that is part of the human experience to run out of stem cells. We can also answer this question by. Uh, study that I think is that is uh, that is fascinating in, in the scientific literature. It was published almost 20 years ago. And it's a study when scientists ask the question, because if you do a cancer treatment right now, you will have, let's say, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and just before, they will extract, isolate your own stem cells, and then preserve them, and then give you back your own stem cells after your treatment. So these stem cells can repopulate your bone marrow. The typical protocol is to give you back about 200,000 stem cells per kilogram of body weight but when you extract or isolate stem cells from a person using this this process that they do clinically you don't know which of this these cells is really a stem cell you really just isolate a bunch of cells so the question of in that study was how many do you really need if you know for sure that the cells that you are, that you have are stem cells? And the ultimate question was, if you only have one, can one reconstitute the bone marrow in the whole blood system? And that study basically demonstrated that if you irradiate an animal, a person, and you only have one stem cell, but you know that that cell is a stem cell, then six weeks later, you get the entire reconstitution of the bone marrow in the blood system. So now, so now you go back into our environment, you know, you've got, let's say at about age, I mean, it's, it's, there's little data on this in the scientific literature, but let's say the estimation you've got anywhere between a hundred to 200 million stem cells in your bone marrow as an adult, you release 10 million. Well, you still have, you know, a hundred to 200 million stem cells in your bone marrow. So you don't really run out of stem cells. And the phenomenon why this is happening is that Everywhere in nature and in your body, cells duplicate through a process that is called symmetrical cellular division, meaning one strand of DNA of the mother cell goes into each of the daughter cells, and along with a copy of that DNA in these two daughter cells are symmetrical identical, but not in the bone marrow. In the bone marrow, what is happening is called asymmetrical cellular division, and the two original DNA go into one daughter cells, that one stays in the bone marrow, and the two copies go into to the other cell, and that is the one that goes into tissues to go and repair, and that is done simply, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful feat of nature, because it's done so that if you did not have this phenomenon, it's kind of easy to imagine the process. Think, think here that during your entire life, your cells, your stem cells are constantly duplicating to feed all the repair, the renewal, the maintenance that is happening in your body. So they multiply, I mean, millions, millions of times. So the moment that one cell divides into two identical daughter cells, if that was what happening, then the second division, then you will have a copy of the copy. And then after that, a copy of the copy of the copy. And you can tell, you know, put a, a piece of paper that you Xerox once. now take the copy and continue to Xerox like this. I mean... You would, by 10 years old, we would be all mutants, like full of, of aberrations. So to prevent against that, you keep your original DNA material in your bone marrow during your entire life. So that means that when a stem cell is released, the mechanism he uh, keeps a, an identical cell into your bone marrow. So you never really deplete your bone marrow by releasing stem cell. It's a beautiful system that has been developed to keep you alive and healthy for your entire life.
2: So basically, we're always just making copies of this original stem cell in the bone marrow. And that's why we can keep doing it. So when people have, because you talk about different levels of baseline stem cells in the bloodstream for different people, what's affecting that then? Is it the ability of the stem cells to leave the marrow? Is it a lack of signaling for them to come out? Is it their actual talent in their ability to move around? What is determining that?
0: I I don't think that it is known in the sense that I'm not aware of research that has been done to explain why you have that outcome. I would assume that it is probably a matter of how much red marrow, it's let's put it this way, it's a combination of how much red marrow you're left with, because we all vary in how much of, of red marrow we, we have left, and how productive that amount of bit of red marrow is. Probably more than the signaling to release them. And but the one thing that is known is that your ability to release the number of stem cells from your bone marrow upon stimulation of that released is the best. Indicator or measuring of how many stem cells you have in your bloodstream, or if I put it the other way, if I just count how many stem cells you have in your bloodstream in cancer research, that is the best determinant to know if you are a good or not a good mobilizer.
2: Okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So if there's <laughs> if there's more floating around it, then they're more likely to um, react
0: to be released more rapidly, more easily. Exactly, for you to be to be able to release more.
2: Okay. It's kind of like there's some phrase about it. It's the phrase about like the you know, the rich get richer and the, the poor get poorer.
0: Something like that.
2: Because I also am the host of the intermittent fasting podcast and I've heard people talk about the potential of fasting to deplete stem cells by mobilizing them. So it sounds like you don't think that's a concern.
0: Absolutely not. And and I know that there's this notion out there of depletion because One of the hallmarks of aging is stem cell exhaustion. The part that is not understood in here is that those terms are used in different contexts, and it leads to a lot of confusion. There is a phenomenon called stem cell depletion or exhaustion in the bone marrow, and that is simply your red marrow shrinking and converting into yellow marrow, not the red marrow that you have left that becomes tired. It's just a shrinking of that red marrow. Whatever you have just continues to produce. But, in your t- but, but if that red marrow shrinks and continues to release a constant number of stem cells in terms of the size of the red marrow, then that means that declines over age. Let me try to make a simple analogy. You're born with 100 bank accounts that are releasing each $100 a month. So you are well. But as you age, you're losing some of these bank accounts. They shrink, they develop and they turn into like empty buildings. Each bank account that you have left continues to give you the same amount, but you got fewer and fewer of these bank accounts. So it's it's a little bit like your bank your bone marrow is working. It releases the same amount of stem cells, but it shrinks over time. So it leads to fewer stem cells in circulation available to replenish your tissues. And at the same time, the stem cell layer of your tissues, and at the same time, the aging process makes you lose more and more cells because you have more and more of these cells that are aging. So the balance between the rate of decline and your decline in your ability to repair and offset that decline, you lose that balance, and there's a point where you start to experience that as aging. That, so stem cell depletion is a phenomenon of your tissues. Stem cell exhaustion is a phenomenon of the bone marrow, but it's a phenomenon of aging. You're not going to exhaust it by by you using it more no more than you're going to exhaust your heartbeats because you do more exercise and you make your heart beat more.
2: Awesome. Okay, so people who think that they're depleting it by using it, it's like they're saying don't take any money from the bank account because we don't want to lose the other bank accounts, but they're not related. Like you can take as much as you want from the bank account and it's not going to affect the other bank accounts.
0: Your stem cells, I think, are just like an artesian well, like a natural well. It, it, it is at a certain level and the more water you take on it, from it, it stays always at the same level. And sometimes even you will see a well that is going to go higher if you if you take more water from it and you kind of help that, that vein to provide more water. Your bone marrow is, is, that's a pretty good analogy for your bone marrow. So the more you take from it, it does not affect the level of stem cells that you have in, in your bone marrow.
2: This is a random question. So I was really anemic at one point and had blood transfusions. So when people get blood transfusions especially if they're like, you know, I wasn't in there for an injury, as for anemia, but you know, if people are in there for injuries, does it happen that they get stem cells from the blood transfusions and then that is affecting their repair system and we're not even realizing?
0: Of course. I think that this is one of the things that we're discovering. When you do a blood transfusion, of course, you receive stem cells from, you know, from the person from whom you, 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 you receive that blood transfusion. Actually, this whole process is how stem cells were sort of discovered in the 1950s and I think I mentioned that in the book if you remember that's kind of how it was discovered there was a nuclear incident in Yugoslavia if I remember well and a number of of individuals were irradiated severely so basically they were they lost all their stem cells so we knew from Hiroshima that people who have been irradiated do not survive, you know, more than, than I don't know, maybe maybe a month or two, and so that gives you right there a, a level of the importance of the role of your stem cells in your body. It's like you need oxygen, you need water, after that you need food, and not far beyond is your stem cells in terms of how long you can live without them. So anyway, they had these individuals and they said, okay, they won't be able to make their blood, so we will have to keep them alive to constantly, at least every three months, the survival time of red blood cells in the, in the blood, in the body, to give them blood transfusion. And after one blood transfusion, they're starting to remake their own blood. And now we know today why. It's just because that contains stem cells that go back, repopulate the bone marrow, and then people start to make their own blood.
2: So I would love, especially with the advent of AI and analyzing medical data, if they could have AI look at all the studies and see studies where there was injury of some sort that did or did not require blood transfusions and the Mortality rates associated, and see if there 's like a trend for the all of the ones that have blood transfusions if people you know had reduced mortality rates
0: it would be very interesting, although you you bring a lot of variables in there because if you if you were to take let 's say a blood transfusion from a donor that is much younger, then you suddenly received much younger stem cells that could really help somebody. Who is older, because your stem cells, not only their number r- reduces over time as we age, but their quality also reduces over time. Now, at any point in life, your stem cells are good enough. They're, they're good for you no matter what. But, but if they are younger, they are, they are more potent. So in this whole analysis, it will be very interesting to see what was the age of the donor. Yeah, that will be an important variable.
2: I'm just laughing. I'm just I mean, I hope I don't ever get to that point again, but I can just see myself now in the hospital being anemic and being like, actually, can I have young blood for my <laughs> for my transfusion? They'd be like, Okay, this girl, <laughs> we can't do this. Okay, so stepping back to actually, because I know we got really deep into the details really quick, stepping back in the larger picture of everything. Because I think when a lot of people hear stem cells, even still, they think embryonic stem cells. So what is the difference with those type of cells versus bone marrow cells? And also, what does adult stem cells refer to? What all does that cover?
0: Okay. Adult stem cells is a huge misnomer because it kind of suggests that you find them in adults. And then the question is like, what about a newborn? Adult simply means Stem cells in your body after birth. So, even an umbilical cord, these are adult stem cells. An embryonic stem cell is the when you get the zygote that starts to develop into the very, very early days of an embryo. So, you're talking about a lump of cells of maybe, I mean, at most, a few hundred cells, and if not less. Uh, it's about the eight to ten days old embryo. These cells. All have the ability if you isolate one of them, it will have the ability to reconstitute an entire living organism so so th- these are called embryonic stem cells.
2: Hi friends, do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the tenth annual biohacking conference. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. Melanieavalon.com/slash biohacking conference with coupon code BC Melanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there.
0: So originally, in the I should say historically, as we cloned, you remember the sheep dolly that was cloned. And a lot of these studies were done with those embryonic stem cells. So they were known to be extremely powerful. The problem or the flip side of their power of of being able to to develop into a full organism is that if you want to use them in a limited fashion, you inject them in the heart, if you want just to have repair of the heart, well, you will or may very well have in your heart uh, a few pieces of bone, a tooth, uh, you know, different kinds of tissues, which is called a teratoma. So the level of tumor formation when using embryonic stem cells is so high that they have never been used really for treatments. They have been used essentially for drug development, Like you want to study a drug, let's say, and see what is their impact on human heart. You cannot do these studies on human beings, you do them on animals. So, embryonic stem cells gives you an ability to basically grow a human heart from embryonic stem cells, human embryonic stem cells, and then test the drug on an in vitro lab-developed human heart. So that is the big development that is coming out of embryonic stem cell research. And the reason why there was so much talk in the early days about embryonic stem cell research or embryonic stem cells is that in the early days, adult stem cells from the bone marrow were really believed to only be able to become uh, blood cells. They were precursors to red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. So when we discovered the potential of, of embryonic stem cells, and by the way, the, the, the potential of embryonic stem cells has been known for a long time. It's just that nobody had been able to grow human embryonic stem cells. That feat was achieved in 1998. And that is what really refueled the whole development, the whole dream that, hey, maybe we could do human organs in vitro, and I can give you a new heart that is your tissue. That's the That was the whole dream behind it. But you can't because there's too, much, there's too much of a high risk of tumor formation. And at that time, adult stem cells were only known to become blood cells. And that is really, to me, the biggest discoveries in this whole world of stem, stem cells is that that is not true. We know very well today, adult stem cells can become cells of virtually every single tissue in your body. The difference with embryonic stem cells is that when they reach a tissue, they will only become cells of that tissue. So they do have the repair potential, the regenerative potential without the tumor risk. So they are by, by all means, you know, they are the solution, the, the, the answer to repair tapping into the regenerative power of stem cells. Does that make sense?
2: So to recap what you said, the embryonic stem cells can grow like an entire organ, but they create these these tumor formations. Did you say that the tumor formations, it's like matter from other, like it's like bone inside of heart?
0: That stem cells as the is programmed, if you want to be wild in quotes, if you want, it's it's programmed to become a full organism. So if you take that that embryonic stem cells and you put it in the presence of liver tissue, for example, it will become liver tissue and it will start in this path of developing a whole organism. And in that In that process, we'll create a lump of tissues of just about everything. Just do teratoma on a Google search and click on images, and you will see what these are. Oh, I will. Yeah. (laughs) So, But you see, you take an adult stem cells, and you put it in presence of liver tissue, and they will transform into liver cells only. You put them with skin, skin only. You put them on a muscle, muscle only, and so on and so forth. So they are limited in what they can become, but limited in the sense that they will only become the cell of of the tissue in which they are. Which is really you call you can call it a limitation, but it's a it's kind of a great limitation because now that means so and so it creates this uh, this perception that they're much less effective, and it's not true. They're actually more effective because they're limited in their risk, but not in their potential.
2: So both adult stem cells and embryonic stem cells could, quote, repair something, but the embryonic ones, they keep going and they try to create like a whole new organ and they create tumors and all of these issues. But the adult stem cells just do the repair that needs to be done for that tissue. So adult stem cells, I'm assuming, cannot grow entire organs in vitro
0: they cannot. And and when I say all cell types, there is a limitation. They're not uh, adult stem cells in the body for the most part are not pluripotent or totipotent, meaning able to do everything. Like they will not make sperm and eggs. That's, that's the limitation. Although there is a type of stem cells in the body called different names by different groups who have discovered them. The most common name is very small embryonic like stem cells, V cells, there, there are reports suggesting that they can also become sperm and eggs, but let's just say they, at least they are the most potent in the body.
2: What about the issue you talked about in the book where it made heart tissue, but it wasn't fully integrated?
0: Well, it's it's an interesting observation. To my knowledge, very little research has been done to look at this. It was more like an observation. I don't think that in that study that is what they were studying. They just observed the fact that by injecting stem cells in the heart, then the stem cells did not integrate the heart a, through the normal physiology of the heart, meaning penetrating the heart, filling the stem cell layer of the heart, and then that stem cell layer then start to form the the resident stem cells who start to be part of the repair process of the heart. Because in the heart, like in the brain, most of the repair takes place because those stem cells that migrate on the heart release trophic factor that stimulates the heart's own repair. So when you inject exogenous stem cells inside the heart, these stem cells will convert into heart cells and are going to sort of patch the heart just like you put a patch on, a, on an inflatable boat. It works, but it's not the part of the boat. It's outside the boat. It works, but it's, they're two different pieces. So what they found in, after injecting stem cells inside the heart tissue is that the new heart that developed was electrically distinct from the rest of the heart, though coupled so electrically, it worked. The heart was contracting, but it was they were two distinct electrical networks and and i was I was pointing this out in the book because to me, it makes even more relevant this whole concept of saying, "Let's repair organ by releasing your own stem cells because you support." Your very own innate ability to repair by tapping into your own physiology. it's a repair that is happening physiologically at the rate that your body has been designed to do that kind of repair instead of forcing it that That's what I was trying to 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 bring in in the book by using this example
2: okay. So is it kind of like the difference between I was going to say repairing a person like you repairing something externally versus teaching that person to repair everything for themselves like giving them the resources to to do everything themselves
0: yeah when you let things happen naturally on their own that repair is always so much more integral complete multidimensional if you want it, it's just it's a it's a full genuine and complete repair when you patch it and you force the patching and accelerate it then by a the way that is not physiological then yeah at times you get something that could be functional, but it is, but the outcome is not, is different than what you get by a normal physiological repair.
2: Was that in, in vivo and real people with the heart issues?
0: I think it was in, in animals. It was in vivo, but it was in mice. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. In general, how well do animal studies translate to humans with everything involving stem cells?
0: So far, it is pretty direct. I could say everything that has been seen in animals is also seen in humans. With some, the only differences is that there are methods that could have severe side effects. So in animals, you see the full potential of it. But you also see the side effects, which when you consider a human application, then you could not use them because of some of the side effects that can be associated with them. So that would be a limitation of the application of some of these, like what we talked about before, embryonic stem cells. The use of embryonic stem cells has shown that you can repair the brain in cases of like severe brain damage, spinal cord lesions, I mean, a lot of these conditions to the point where some of this has been used, for example, it's a study that was done maybe more than 10 years ago. And I'm not sure if it was even published in the scientific literature, but they took a brain condition in newborns that was known to basically, these newborns would not live more than, than a few months because of the severity of the brain condition. And they injected embryonic stem cells. And it was shown to really lead to very significant repair. But a third of these, of these children developed tumors, brain tumors. So it, it really showed that, yes, it can work, but the risk is too, is too high for the development of other conditions.
2: I'm just remembering how old I was when I feel like it was in the heyday of the controversy of embryonic stem cells. Where were they getting those embryonic stem cells from? Or where do they?
0: Yeah, all these stem cells come from in vitro fertilization. It's a very interesting question that you're asking because it was such a huge controversy and that controversy was all political it was not really scientific and what i mean by this is that it came from in vitro fertilization so you take so you get parents that cannot that that cannot produce kids they're infertile one or the others or both and then you can you isolate sperm and eggs and you fertilize them in vitro in a test tube you produce embryos you, you make them go from the zygote to a small embryo that is implanted in the womb, in the uterus, and then you freeze them and you preserve them. So they will try to do like this. I don't know, a dozen, two dozens of them, they freeze them. And anytime a couple wants children, then you implant two, three, four of them in the uterus with the hope that one is going to take. And that's why we sometimes have parents that have quadruplets and it's because they they all took. And then after a, a few of these procedures, then you have a family, the parents are happy, they have their family, and now they're left with a number of these eggs frozen into the facility of in vitro fertilization. So that facility, so the parents will stop paying to get these eggs cryopreserved. So the, 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 the facility will basically discard them. So they throw them in the sink, in the trash. So scientists said, please give it to us, and then we are going to extract these stem cells, and we will do research with these embryonic stem cells that we can extract for these embryos. So these embryos were destroyed no matter what. It's either destruction through throwing them in the trash or destruction by isolating the stem cells. But at the time, it was used politically to sort of galvanize, I think, religious groups by saying that it was unethical to use these human embryos because it was human life. And it, it is all really coming from the fact that in Christians believe, and I'm saying this here, like I'm trying to be just as objective as I can. Christians believe that ensoulment takes place on the day of conception, but Buddhist Jews and Muslims believe that ensoulment takes place after the third month. So for them destroying an embryo is not really relevant. It's not yet a human life. And that is really where all the controversy is. And it has never been a controversy from a scientific standpoint, because in reality, nobody would ever attack in vitro fertilization, because I don't know how many millions of in vitro fertilization babies we have in the country. So it would be to say these these individuals today are what you'd call them like illegitimate 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 inv- individuals become because they come from a process that was not ethical of course it's 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 it would be nonsense but the, but the burden has never been put on in vitro fertilization it has been put on the use of those embryos that were used for science instead of being put in the trash and all of this was used for political gain outside of the fact that they are taken from in, in vitro fertilization it has never been an issue outside of that. So the fact that babies are used, baby parts, all of that language has never been a thing in the world of stem cell research.
1: That's
2: so interesting. So basically, if you were of the mindset, I was raised in a very like Christian evangelical Christian school. So when this was all happening, it was all it was all a thing. So if you were of the mindset that this was a bad thing, using those embryos. You would need to, in order to maintain that, quote, moral standard, if you were doing in vitro fertilization, you would need to use all of the embryos yourself or keep paying to keep them, like, stored. Basically, if you, if you wanted to maintain that, that moral idea. Otherwise, you're doing the same thing.
0: Exactly. And you see that that by itself has never been brought up as a, as a controversy or as an issue in our society. It's all been put on the use of them scientifically. Yeah, you're correct.
2: I would like to go back in time and like think about it more back then when it was a whole thing. So one more question about, because you're talking about the repair potential, and we were talking about how the stem cells from the bone marrow become part of the tissue, but also help the tissue repair itself locally. What's the difference between the the stem cells from the bone marrow that become the tissue versus stimulating stem cells already in the tissue, versus you talk about this paracrine effect?
0: Correct. There are, there are a number of... T- actually, it's probably happening everywhere. It's probably not only in the heart and the brain, but it is a gradient. So in the brain and in the heart, a lot of the repair is happening by what is called the paracrine effect. Y- you know, the exocrine gland, endocrine gland... So so basically, there's another part of hormonal release, which is called paracrine, which is the release of compounds that is aimed at touching neighboring cells, very, very short distance. And then you've got your nerve, your neurons that are going to release neurotransmitter, which is an extremely short distance. So it's all a gradient, if you want. It's releasing compounds that will have an effect on other cells. So paracrine is a stem cell that basically migrates inside the heart gets into this stem cell layer and start to release paracrine compounds so basically growth factors that is turning on and stimulating local stem cells that are going to start to get engaged into the repair process and then most of the repair in the heart and in the brain comes through this process stimulating stem cell resident resident tissue stem cells of the heart or of the of the brain and that is demonstrated by or observed by if you use for example B, okay brdu so it's bromodeuridine so it's one of the nucleotide that is used when you duplicate dna and if it's if you couple it with brome, then you can identify the cells that contains dna that has this bromodeuridine so if you see one of these cells you know that this is a new cell meaning When you put that in the diet of the animal and a cell is duplicated in this animal, then that is incorporated into that DNA. So you can identify any new cells that took place after you fed the animal with that that compound. So if in the same time you put in the bone marrow fluorescent stem cells, so now you trigger a heart injury. So what you can see is that you can identify all the heart cells that emerged from a stem cell because it's going to be green and all the cells that are new cells because they will have this BRDU. So you can look now in the heart that has repaired and you can see that There are much, much fewer cells that are green than you have BRDU positive cells, meaning many of them that have multiplied and created new heart cells actually are not derived from stem cells from the bone marrow. So it is happening through a paracrine effect. So the stem cells stimulated the process, but it took place by the the healing of the stem cell resident heart cells. Does that make sense?
2: It does. Do they find that, because you said that's primarily in places like the heart and the brain. So when they do these studies, have they done these studies in other parts of the body where they use the BRDU and the green fluorescent?
0: It's not, unfortunately, again, it it has not been studied like comprehensively to to see how is it happening everywhere in the body. It's been seen mostly in the heart and the brain because we have observed that When you use fluorescent stem cells, you do get heart repair, and yet few heart cells are actually fluorescent. So it it brought the question, what is happening then? So it, it drove scientists to document that one more specifically. But I would assume that it's happening everywhere. Although we did a study when we were studying stem regen, for example, so plants that trigger the release of your own stem cells. And to prove the concept, we used an animal model in which we triggered muscle injury. So it's an injection of a toxin called cardiotoxin. It kills the muscle. And then we simply observe the repair with stem cells that are fluorescent. And what we could see is that almost the entire muscle was reconstituted, but it was all green. So in the in the muscles, it was all green. So, so I'm not saying that there's no cells that emerge from resident tissue cells, but in that case, it was the entire muscle was made out of cells that would derive from the bone marrow. Granted, the entire muscle was destroyed pretty much. So in that case, there was probably very little endogenous ability of the muscle to repair. But so, so here's an example of a tissue, the muscle that can completely reconstitute from, from stem cells from the bone marrow.
2: Do you think it's a matter of the complexity of the organ or what's being repaired as to whether it's more from like the bone marrow versus endogenous and everything
0: else? I don't know if I would use the word complexity just because your liver is a very complex organ and yet it re- it regen- it's one of the organs that regenerates the most in your body. But the brain is definitely, you know, one of the, the most complex. But, but in all those tissues, the kidney, the heart, and the brain are probably those that repair the least from stem cells migrating from the bone marrow to those tissues.
2: So just to recap for listeners to make sure I'm understanding. So basically, they do these studies where they give the animal this BRDU compound that will basically mark where new cells are created locally within the tissue. And they also make the bone marrow green, like bright green mm-hmm. fluorescent. So when, when there's a rip- injury, the bone marrow stem cells come in and then they see, is there more green, like bone marrow stem cells taking over or is it more of the, these new cells with this
0: BRDU compound? Correct. You, 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 you got it very well. So at the end, what you look at, because the new stem cells that integrated the tissue, they also multiply So they also have BRDU. So the point is that you look at what are all the new cells in that tissue that participated to tissue repair. And of all of those, how many are green? And that gives you sort of the understanding of how much of the repair is actually directly derived from stem cells, from the bone marrow versus stimulated the stem cells from the bone marrow.
2: Okay. And then a big, big question that I haven't even asked and we're an hour in, but this actual triggering of the stem cells in the first place, is it just injury endogenously that does that? And these compounds, like what you have in Stemrogen, is that an injury mimetic?
0: Yes. The, the injury is the signal. Physiologically speaking, when you have an injury, it releases a compounds, a number of compounds, actually well-defined that will go to the bone marrow and will trigger the release of stem cells from the bone marrow. Then the injury will release another signal that will attract stem cells to that tissue. Stem cells will migrate in that tissue and then will participate in tissue repair. This is the normal role of stem cells in the body. Was that your question?
2: Yes. So, but then these exogenous compounds that we could take, like with Stemrogen, is that an injury mimetic signal?
0: Very interesting question. It does it does, they, they do many things. What I mean is that, so, so let's go a little bit through the process here because it will make it easier to understand what these compounds are doing in the body. So when a stem cell is in the bone marrow, let, let, let me restart that. It, it's not a simple thing to do this without imaging and, and, and depicting, illustrating the whole process. Your stem cells has on its membrane a receptor. It's called CXCR4. That receptor is specific for a compound called SDF1, stromal-derived factor 1. When these two connect, it makes the stem cell express adhesion molecule that will make the stem cells connect to the bone marrow environment or to the capillary. So when a stem cell is circulating in the blood circulation and it's going everywhere, when it when it, it, it circulates in the fine microvasculature, of a tissue or an organ that has an injury that is releasing as the F1, that stem cells will then, it will be triggered in this process of migration and it will cling to the capillary wall, migrate across the capillary wall, get into the tissue, and then start the process of tissue repair. If that stem cell is not attracted to a tissue that has an injury, it will be captured by the bone marrow because in the bone marrow, the manufacturing of, not the manufacturing, the secretion of SDF1 is happening all the time. So the phenomenon to keep stem cells in the bone marrow is the same one that attracts stem cells to an injury. It's just that in your body, it's for an injury. In your bone marrow, it's to just keep them as a bank into your bone marrow. So so if you interfere with that process of attachment so sdf1 connects with adhesion with cxcr4 it leads to the expression of adhesion molecule and then the stem cell clings to the bone marrow environment if you decrease the amount of SDF1 in the bone marrow, stem cells will have a tendency to detach. If you secrete enzymes that digest SDF1, the stem cells will detach. If you block CXCR4, the receptor for SDF1, the stem cell will detach. If you block the ability of stem cells to express the adhesion molecule, it will detach from the bone marrow. So you can affect that release of stem cells by interfering with that process at different places. So when you have an injury and you release compounds like GCSF, granulocyte colony stimulating factor, which is your main injury signal, it goes into the bone marrow, triggers the release of an enzyme that will specifically digest SDF1. So in the absence of SDF1, the stem cells is no longer stimulated to stay in the bone marrow environment and cling into the the bone marrow environment. And that's why, let's say, three to five days after a heart attack, you will have or a bone fracture or a stroke or a burn to the skin. You will have an increase of three to tenfold in the number of stem cells in circulation that's your normal mechanism of releasing stem cells. Now, there is a drug that was developed called AMD 3100. It was developed almost like 15 years ago, sold $500 million to a, a US, an American pharmaceutical company. So when you pay $500 million, you have a good idea of what could really be the impact of a molecule like this. It's a blocker of the receptor. So if you block the receptor CXCR4, now you no longer have the connection. It's the same effect as as releasing as having G- GCSF. So you trigger the release of stem cells from the bone marrow. If you can block the expression of the receptor on the surface of, of the membrane, the surface membrane of stem cells, then in the absence of those receptors, you also no longer have that connection. This is what one of the ingredients that we have studied, the blue-green algae from Climate Lake, as a molecule that reduces the expression of that receptor on the surface membrane of stem cells. If you change the gradient, the, 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 the concentration gradient of SDF1 by reducing it in the bone marrow and increasing it in the bloodstream now you trigger the migration of stem cells from the bone marrow to the bloodstream. They're more attracted to the bloodstream. That is what Panax panaxenotaginsin extract has been documented to do. So we have herbal extract that will reduce the expression of the receptor on the surface of, of stem cells that are going to change the, the concentration gradient of SDF1 and others that will mimic the injury, uh, the injury signal of the body by increasing the amount of GCSF in the bloodstream. So it sort of mimics as if your body had an injury. So So different mechanism of action, all targeting the same outcome, release of stem cells from the bone marrow.
2: Can I recap and you let me know if I have it right?
0: Ed, you're pretty good at recapping so far.
2: <laughs> okay, so so basically stem cells have this CXCR4 marker. Marker? It's a marker?
0: It's a, it's a marker in the world of identifying cells, but it's a functional receptor.
2: A receptor, right, okay. And it attaches to SDF1. There's SDF1 in the bone marrow, and then there's also SDF1 in tissues. And so in theory, it can attach to either one. So it's a matter of, it sounds like a person torn between two lovers, like who's calling stronger.
0: It is what it is with the understanding that one is transient only in the circumstance of a, of an injury for a short amount of time, just to call for repair. Whereas the other one is just like, you know, the chicken calling it's, it's young chicks back to the, to the, to the, to the den calling them to just say, go, go and stay there. So
2: it's like, to continue with the analogy, the stem cells when they are in the bone marrow, that's their, their true lover home. But then somebody gets hurt and, and calls for their help. The way it has to attract them is it has to, well, I guess you said there are different ways, but one of the ways it could do it is it could release this GCSF compound that goes into the bone marrow and actually reduces that, that SDF1 connection. So then it can leave. So it's like, don't look over there. Don't, don't be with that. Don't be with that person. Come over here. It comes out of the bone marrow and now it can attach to the SDF one in the tissue that needs the repair and it can do its thing. And it might stay there or going back to our earlier conversation, it might go back to the bone marrow
0: later. Correct. I mean, I mean, I, I think the, their mission here is to go into the tissue and stay there. But, it, but it's been observed that some of them can detach and get back to the bone marrow.
2: Does it overstimulate release? Is the intention to be a one-to-one repair or is the intention to just stimulate a lot of release and then fix it and then what doesn't get used can go back?
0: I don't know by design what it is, but but I think by like physiologically speaking, you release them and they're going to go wherever they are called. So they're called in the bone marrow. You kind of stop that signal for a moment. So the stem cells now they're listening and then now they're called to go to the, to the blood circulation. So they leave. And as they circulate, they're listening to that call. So as they circulate everywhere in the body, they will respond to the call of the injured tissue. But if they happen to go back to the bone marrow before they get to the injured tissue, they'll be called back to the bone marrow. So they're just responding to a call.
2: So SDF1 is the call that sdf1 could be in the bone marrow it can be in the injury and to move around you've got to deal with if you want it to be somewhere else you've got to unattach it from the sdf1 that it's attached to currently or you have to you have to either reduce the sdf1 or you have to block its ability to attach to the sdf1 the the cxcr4
0: correct With the understanding, just to make sure that we have no confusion here, the SDF1 touching the receptor is just a signal. The attachment of the stem cells comes from adhesion molecules that are expressed after the attachment of SDF1. SDF1 and CXCR4 is just a signal. It's a switch. You turn the switch and you you turn on the adhesion capability of the stem cells, if you want.
2: So with Stemrogen and when you are... Blocking the CXCR4, presumably it comes back so it can attach later, so it temporarily reduces that.
0: It's very temporary. It's very temporary.
2: Okay, how does that work
0: timeline-wise? Well, the, these receptors are, how could I say the the? <laughs> it's getting complicated without <laughs> without illustration. Okay, the CXCR4 receptor is a receptor that is preformed in the cell, and it gets externalized upon a certain signal. So that signal is a molecule called L-selectin. So when X-selectin is activated, the receptor is expressed, and it's basically, it's almost like you walking around waiting for a signal, an auditory signal, but your ears are internalized. And then when you get to the place where normally you should be hearing for the signal, suddenly your ears come out and now they listen. That's kind of a little bit how it's working. So the signal to make that receptor get out, that's what blue-green algae is blocking. So so in the bone marrow, that's the, the stem cells become a little bit deaf, if you want, to the signal. So they get out of the bone marrow, but as they get out of the bone marrow, and they start to circulate, they reform those, those L-selectin. So once it's in the circulation, it becomes fairly rapidly just a normal stem cell circulating into your blood circulation. So those that phenomenon is short-lived. It's just, it's just a little nudge for the stem cells to get out of the bone marrow for a short amount of time.
1: Hi friends,
2: one of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right. Now back to the show. It's just fortuitous that, that that amount of time that it's silenced, that this CXCR4 can't hear, can't quote hear. It's just good fortune that it's like the perfect amount of time for it to leave the bone marrow and then hear again. Like it just works out well that that's what happens time-wise. I mean, it's, it's a
0: number of factors altogether. Like, It's very normal in physiology that everything rotates, everything transforms, everything is constantly in the process of turnover. So if you have some molecules that are blocked at the surface of a cell, and that's the reason why, well, you take caffeine, you're not like jittery and awake for three months in a row. It the receptor that is blocked is, is it changes, it cleanses up and it's eliminated. And every one of these reactions has a certain time frame, if you want. So it's just this normal physiology that is happening with the bioactive compounds that we have in, in blue green algae. But it's also coupled with the fact that stem cells have a certain residence time in the bloodstream. There's not a lot of research that has been done on this, but the research that has been done shows that a stem cell will be in the bloodstream any between six minutes to six hours, average of about sixty minutes. So, so the fact that what we quantify, for example, with blue greenology where about an hour later you get a peak in the number of, of uh, in, in the increase in the number of stem cells, and two three hours later it's back to baseline, is almost like perfectly reflects the residence time of a stem cell that has just been released in the blood circulation.
2: So, is that why you're saying when you first studied it, you thought? You thought you would see that injecting that compound would lead to a reduction in the bloodstream because you thought maybe that the stem cells would be entering the tissue. But instead you saw an increase because its primary mechanism of action was helping more be released into the bloodstream rather than pulling them into the cells.
0: Yeah, well, the reason why I was expecting that originally is that before doing all that work with stem cells, so we're in 1997, 1998, and what we had discovered is that the mechanism of action of that blue green algae and its effect on the immune system, more specifically on natural killer cells, is that the polysaccharide in AFA was triggering the migration of NK cells out of the blood into tissues. And we could measure that. By basically quantifying the number of NK cells in the bloodstream and seeing within about 30 minutes a rapid drop in the number of NK cells. So, when we started to think about stem cells, then our first Uh, hypothesis was, well, maybe that's what we have with this product. So we have the the polysaccharide that is stimulating the migration of NK cells, just like it does for, for stem cells. And that's our mechanism of action. As you make stem cells go into tissue, they repair tissues. So we took blue green algae, we tested it, we're expecting to see that kind of phenomenon. And that's not what we saw. We saw an increase in the number of stem cells. So so we started to scratch our mind, and and we had to let go of that original hypothesis. And we start to so. Then my thought was, well, maybe it's just a different effect, but it may be the same me- the same active compound. So we isolated the the polysaccharide, and when we start to give the polysaccharide to people and quantify stem cells we saw the same thing that we saw with with natural cure cells we saw a drop in the number of stem cells and then fast forward here to completing all the studies what we discovered is that afa had actually two Active compounds, one that triggered the release of stem cells from the bone marrow, and one that triggered their migration into tissues. Say so that the Mother Nature put those two in the same product is like mind boggling. We have the same thing in sea buckthorn, uh, C. buckthorn berry extract. So it makes these compounds a little bit more difficult to study because in different people, it will give you so the the speed at which you get the migration and the release is not the same in different people so you get a biphasic curve some people start with a reduced number and after that it increases as you first have the migration and then the release other people get the release and then suddenly it goes below baseline as you stimulate the migration later. So you get these biphasic sort of more complex curve, but it's, it's, it's both phenomenon happening at the same time in the bloodstream. It's like measuring how much money you have in your bank account, but you get income and expenses happening at the same time. And you don't know how much income you have. You don't know how much expense you have. All you have is how, many money you have, how much money you have in your bank account. That's the only thing you can measure.
2: So, would some people respond more favorably if they preferentially release stem cells, like mobilize stem cells, and then they enter the tissue compared to do some people, it pulls them into the tissue first and then mobilizes them so they actually don't get as much of the effect?
0: I don't think. I think this is this is a good the question you have right now is a good example of what I was referring before when I say you've got a complex phenomenon that is evolving and we take a snapshot picture of it and we interpret the whole phenomenon by the snapshot picture. I do not think that these people first do one and the other. It's just that some people start sooner with one of the other and then they add together on top of each other. And then, uh, you know, and then it's very difficult to, it's probably the same thing is happening in everybody. It's just that one of the two peaks up first before the other. And quite frankly, I would even say on that day, Maybe because of how well they slept, what, whatever is happening in their body, something is just making one of the response probably showing up first compared to the other. But I'm not sure I would say the response is altogether different from one person to another.
2: What studies have you conducted?
0: Well, the studies, because of exactly what we're just talking about right now, the fact that you've got ingredients that have two mechanism of action or two effects, if you want, in stem cells. Release. And migration the fact that these ingredients have a different time frame also in the release in the migration and the fact that different people react with a different time frame when we start to combine these different ingredients together we get we get very weird curves. so we have we have historically documented, the effect of these plants separately. So, And all of this is done using what we call crossover, double-blind, placebo-controlled studies, meaning people are tested against themselves. So typically, somebody comes in the lab, a participant comes in the lab at 8 in the morning, sits down for about an hour so that we have a very restful state, and then we take a blood sample, then we give them a placebo or the plant extract that we want to test, and then we take another blood sample an hour, two hours, three hours after, and then we count the number of stem cells in the blood circulation. Then the same person comes back a week later, the same day of the week, we ask them to have the same diet, the same everything as the day before. A week before when they did it, and now we give them the placebo or the plant extract, depending on which one they, we gave them first, and then we subtract from their response with the plant extract what is their normal circadian cycle that we quantify with the placebo, and that is the response that we have. That's what we analyze, so we do that for every single plant extract that we have, and then on stem regen, the blend of all these plants, which is really a blend of plant that trigger both the release of stem cells from the bone marrow and also their migration. The moment that we start to observe migration, some plants only do migrations like medicinal mushroom, for example, goji berry, colostrum, they stimulate strongly the migration of stem cells. So we took our top plant stimulating the release of stem cells from the bone marrow, blended it with our two top plants that stimulated migration of stem cells into tissues. So now we have a, a product that stimulates both strong release and strong migration into tissues, and then that is Stem Regen. And we study this in clinical trials with specific condition, touching, for example, cardiac function, pancreatic function, various aspects of human health. So we have, for example, a, an ongoing study on chronic stable congestive heart failure in which we give people stem regen, a blend of plant extract that stimulates both the release of their own stem cells and migration, and we're documenting the effect on, on cardiac function. So that's the studies, the type of studies that we're doing right now with stem regen.
2: So, because you were talking about the I don't know if we talked about it in this conversation or in the book, but the natural circadian rhythm of normal stem cell release from the bone marrow into the tissue, is the effect of Stimrogen, does it also have a circadian effect? Like, is it more powerful at certain times for certain people, or is it
0: always going to pretty much have the same effect? We don't know because you need to understand that if (laughs) <laughs> the number of people that it needs to show whether the effect is there or not and have statistical significance versus versus now, what is the difference in that person at 8 a.m. in the morning versus 8 a.m. in the evening? Now you're talking about probably much smaller differences. And the cost of doing these studies would be, I don't know, probably $500,000 to a million dollars to basically me be able to tell you it's better at, at, at a different, you know, at whatever time of the day we're a small company. It's not the kind of things for which we can fund the kind of studies. What I can tell you is that there is a normal circadian circadian cycle. 5 a.m. is about the time when you have the largest number of stem cells in circulation. But over the past 20 years of doing this work here with various plants, various blends of plants triggering stem cell release, and people taking these products at all kinds of times in the day, I do not believe that there is a relationship with or a time that is better than another. In our clinical trials, we tell people to take these products three times a day. The notion here being that when you release a wave of stem cells, this will last, let's say, two, three, four hours, a total of about maybe six hours when it comes back to baseline. So we tell people take two capsules, every four to six hours. So three times a day. And it's when people do that, that we really see the best results. So it's telling me that whether the effect is stronger or not as strong at other times of the day, it is still bringing additional benefits.
2: Gotcha. Well, I will just say, just being at the conference and talking with So many people, I mean, the testimonials about using this product were incredible. I was like, oh, I need to be like on this now. What should people experience? So obviously, if somebody has an acute injury, I'm assuming that it's it's very helpful. But for people who, you know feel healthy and don't have any perceptible injuries, what might they experience taking it?
0: Coming back to something that you were saying just before, you know, that the the testimonials are crazy. It has been over the years, over the past 20 years, honestly, one of the most difficult part to manage with a product like STEM Regen, which is to tell people, you know, with current regulatory, you know, FDA regulations, you cannot share your story as you really have experienced it. You need to really use quality of life aspect. Like instead of saying, I used to have that and now I don't have it, you need to say, well, I was no longer be able to hike in the mountains, play golf, do this, A, B, and C. Now I can do it. Find a, a creative way to soften the message because you cannot really come out and just say, here's my experience now we have published a number of these stories in the scientific literature because i think it is worth sharing it in the you know in science but it cannot be used as stories to promote the product so so yes those stories are sometimes mind blowing and for me personally it has probably been my greatest motivation over the years is just like seeing the lives that are being changed and i'm just thinking man we we just need to bring this to as many people as possible because it has changed lives and it and it can change many lives so i will answer your question in in a somewhat vague way but but hopefully in the most uh, the most objective way that i can most health issues are caused by the loss of a type of cells you lose cells making insulin, it's diabetes. You lose cells making dopamine in the brain, it's Parkinson. You lose cells making T3, T4, it's hypothyroidism. You lose cells in your heart, cardiomyopathy. I mean, any problem is the loss of a type of cell in a specific organ or tissue. Stem cells can become virtually every single type of sales. When I see virtually, I just want to keep the door open here. They cannot make maybe eggs or sperm. But outside of that, the very fact that you're alive today, coupled with the fact that you are losing cells in every organ and tissue of your body. This is clear from stem cell research. Well, the flip side of that is that your stem cells are repairing everything. So they are becoming cells of every single tissue. So they can become cells of every single tissue. So by putting more stem cells in circulation, the product is not going to do anything for your disease or your health problem. What the product is going to do is simply leverage your innate ability to repair, your stem cells or your repair system. Stem cells can become cells of every single tissue. As you put more stem cells in circulation, there's plenty of studies and information in the scientific literature to show that by putting more stem cells in circulation, your body can use these stem cells to help repair, maintain, renew, revitalize, use the word that you want here, to basically make new cells in tissues that may need more cells to work better. So what we're doing is only giving back your body's innate ability to repair and, uh, and experience optimal health. So what can you expect from it? Quite frankly, I cannot, until we have these studies that have that have clearly established that putting more stem cells with a blend of plants like Stem Regen can really reverse congestive heart failure, diabetes, and all of these. We need to make these studies, file up, file up for these claims and all of that. Will we do that one day? Maybe. In the meantime, the only way for you to know if that can happen is to basically see in your own body, if you can put more stem cells, can that really mean a difference for you. And you know, Melanie, uh, Melanie, because this is the stories that you heard when you were at the biohacking conference, people who have had those kinds of experience. And we tell them, you cannot share your experience, unfortunately, but I'm glad you've had it. What we can share is at least this message of hope to basically say, yes, your stem cells can do it. If you can put more stem cells in circulation, see for yourself what it can do for you. That's the message we can share.
2: I love it. I am I feel like I'm learning in real time from you right now about how to talk about, I've experienced the same thing as you with the supplement and the rules and what can be said. And I'm always in sort of a, a perpetual, my supplement partner will talk to me about, because I have a Facebook group and people will share testimonials and I'll be like, we got to take these posts down. I'm like, but it's a private Facebook group and I'm not saying it. And like, <laughs> it's just, it's frustrating. I, I feel you
0: completely. So what we, what we, what we tell people, I, I mentioned that just before, is we tell people just talk in terms of in terms of a uh, quality of life example somebody says i had congestive heart failure and right now this product you know completely repaired or healed my cured my congestive heart failure obviously you cannot say that what you can say what you can say is that well i was no longer able to play golf go hike in the mountain because i was constantly out of breath and that's it you know these are activities that meant so much to me and and now well i'm i'm happy to be able to tell everybody that i'm playing golf every week i go take a hike in the in the in the mountain and i've resumed all the normal activities you know that i love so much to do i can play with my grandkids and i'm so happy There you go. I have not mentioned any disease. I have not mentioned any repair. I have talked about my experience with my quality of life. You can talk about your experience. If you use a diagnosis, you have not talked about your experience. You've talked about the label that the doctor put on your experience and your problem. That's what you cannot do. But if you talk about your experience without evoking a message of cure and disease, you're fine. And that's what we spend so much time doing with people talk about your own life experience. And that is fine. That made me
2: think of a few really quick last questions. But before that, I do want to share because listeners are probably really wanting to get your supplement right now. So your website is at stemregen.com
0: stemregen.co, exactly.co.
2: So S T E M R E G E N dot co. And you are so kind. So the coupon code Melanie Avalon will get you 15% off your first order. So friends, take advantage of that. And I'll say that again at the end. Some just very last quick questions that made me think of. One is, so not speaking about Stemregen specifically, but going back to stem cells in general. And sorry that this is like a rabbit hole question, but Say that you had an injury and it was repaired by the body and now you have scar tissue or collagen buildup or something like that. So it's a repaired injury, but it's not the original way it should be with the scar tissue. Can stem cells do that? Like can they address, can they remove things, or is it more just active injury
0: that they're involved in? Let me let me take like two two directions with that question, because when you say can they repair, like, can they undo tissue? And this is something that I have seen over the years, and it baffled me. And at the end, I saw so many of these cases that I started to tell sometimes as as an explanation, and believe me, for a scientist, it was hard for me to pronounce these words for a long time, but it was the best way for me to express what it was. It's almost like by by releasing your stem cells, you give a chance to your body to re-express its original blueprint. Because... sometimes it does that. It helps tissue resorb, and I have no explanation for that, because stem cells, you would think, are only going to build things, are not going to remove things. But it's almost like by rebuilding the tissue, they rebuild it the way that it was meant to be. We have seen this many times. But when you're talking about a scar, more specifically, the thing to understand is that scars can be alive. By alive, I mean they can be a lingering injury that is still a very active injury, although you don't experience it like this. And there's a way to test for that. If you take a scar, for example, you got a cut, you got a, you, it's repaired, and now you have a scar. If you at, hold your pulse, take your pulse, or have somebody take your pulse, and then you touch the scar with anything, like a feather, a piece of cloth, a piece of paper, you touch that scar. If that scar is alive, it's going to release, it's an injury. It's still, for your body, it's still an injury. It will release very transiently. It will release adrenaline, which will transiently, because adrenaline over time builds up high blood pressure, but transiently when it's released, it will shut down your blood pressure. So the person holding your pulse will see that the pulse for a second or two I just decreased in, in the amount, in the amplitude of that pulse. So you know that your, your scar is a live scar and that is good. Good because now that scar means it signals. So what you do is that you take a brush, like a toothbrush. If it's a bigger scar, a cotton brush, like a brush that you use for, for your back, for example, in the shower and just irritate your scar enough to awaken that scar and then couple that with fasting, or a product like Stem Regen to put more stem cells in circulation. So stem cells will peak after, let's say, two hours after taking Stem Regen. So two hours after taking Stem Regen, rub that scar to awaken the scar. That scar now will call for repair. And it will call stem cells into that area. And you're giving the opportunity to that scar to probably further repair. And we have seen cases, remarkable cases, where sometimes the scar has completely disappeared. In other cases, it did not. Because you need to understand, you want your scar to disappear. But physiologically speaking, a scar is not a problem. Like it it means nothing for you as a biological entity. So it may or may not repair. So the more that scar is alive, the more it will call for repair, the more your stem cells can migrate in that area and operate repair.
2: Oh, so is that the mechanism of action with dry needling?
0: Exactly, it's exactly what it is. You injure the, the skin, now the skin calls for repair. And if you, example, do needling, microneedling, but after your microneedling, take two capsules of stem regen and within the day or two follow, let's say the three days following it, do this three times a day and you will leverage the heck out of the injury that was created with needling, with micro needling or microdermabrasion. I should have told you sooner, right?
2: I know. Yeah. Cause I used to do that in my jaw for TMDD. That is okay. That makes sense. Okay. I'm so glad we talked about that. That was actually, I don't know why, but that was my first question I had when I started reading your book. So I'm Really excited to hear that.
0: We have, for example, a, an amazing case of, uh, and for me, it was, it was sort of a, a a textbook example of that. If everything that I'm talking about here and the ability of of stem cells to repair, the ability of the skin to repair, scars to repair, if everything that that we're bringing forward as a working hypothesis is true that case should give us you know the results that, that we thought and it did so it's somebody that had an injury and with a round saw so the round saw accidentally landed on his thigh and then he had this huge gash probably 8 to 10 inch long maybe an inch deep so this is like the skin and the muscle not with a scalpel torn by a round saw so this is the tissue completely torn it missed the artery so he was fine and he basically started to take of the plants that we had at the time triggering the release of stem cells from the bone marrow something like stem regen today he took tons of it like something like 20 capsules a day like like a bottle every two, three days, and the doctor told him it will take 46 weeks before he can put his entire weight on that leg and maybe another 46 weeks to walk normally, and eight days later, he was able to stand on his leg, and I've got a picture of it 16 days after a round saw tearing up that tissue. And all you have is a very, very fine scar. All you see in terms of keloid scar, there's no keloid scar. There's nothing keloid about it. All you see is a fine line as if it was a scalpel. And that is what happens if you get a lot of stem cells in circulation, the local fibroblasts do not have to kick in and seal that wound. So the, the stem cells will migrate into that injury and will become keratinocyte, air follicle, sebaceous gland, you know, sweat glands, all the normal constituents of a skin. And what you have is just very normal skin repair. And that's what we're trying to duplicate when you have an old scar and you awaken it. What you want to do is that, is basically make the body signal as if it was a fresh scar so that stem cells migrate into that scar and basically repair what is there by bringing back new uh, skin cells with the hope here that it will go far enough to reduce your keloid scar. We don't know if it will happen, but but it has been seen in, in quite a number of individuals.
2: I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD, and historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically, Basically, IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me anti-aging help with your stress help with lack of sleep and or optimize your partying you need these patches friends and i'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off which is incredible so to get that discount just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer that's i-o-n-l-a-y-e-r and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently, and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner Code Melanie Avalon for $100 off. Wow, that is incredible. Okay, two last quick questions. One, how do you feel about the future of this in the pharmaceutical industry? Because I know you're speaking earlier about funding and money, and it sounds like if pharma did get on board, there would be a lot of funding for studies and things like that. But then I think interesting things happen when, you know, when compounds go the, the drug route. How do you feel about the role of pharma? in the future of stem cell supplements and drugs?
0: I am here going to answer only speculative because I don't know if really that's what happened. But there are compounds. When I first, okay, let me go far here. When I first came out with this idea, this concept and everything, I wanted to have the backings of a third-party from the scientific community to make sure that whatever I was saying here was solid, and mostly for the FDA as well. So I connected with a professor of fertility embryology at University of Illinois, and I sent him all the data that we had on this blue-green algae at the time, the fact that releasing your own stem cells was going to help tissue repair and was going to support optimal health, all of that. So I sent all that information, and he gave us an expert testimonial basically saying that this claim is accurate this claim is supported by the scientific literature and it basically gave us green light to be able to use that that claim and and that that whole testimonial was very useful for us in in the later years or later after because when we did have investigations or questions from the FDA or the FTC we were able to show that the science was there and we had third-party support for the message that what that we were putting out there but th- this this fellow this scientist called me about like, what, three, six months later. And he said, uh, he said, Krishna, I, I just wanted to share something with you because I want you to get the pulse of what you're doing. And he said, I'm a consultant for a number of other pharmaceutical companies that are investigating, you know, what they could do in the stem cell space. And he said, I just want you to know that when I receive your documents at first, my first reaction was like, this is nonsense. This is nuts. But as I'm reading all of this and I'm looking at all this information, I'm realizing you're really onto something here. This is real. And of course, his testimonial, his his expert testimony was, was reflecting that. But he said, I just wanted you to know that you're at least five years ahead of the pharmaceutical because they are not looking at it from that angle at all. It was for me a very rewarding, if you want, message. But I knew that the pharmaceutical had drugs, the one that I referred to before, that is a blocker of CXCR4. They had drugs that could do exactly the same thing. So at the time, I thought it's going to be about like five to eight years maybe, and then all of that is going to come on the marketplace, and it would be out there in the, in the health space. We are 15 years later, and it's still not there and i believe this is just me that's the part that i'm saying is speculative i believe that the reason why it's not there it's because it is bringing it's not a it's not a paradigm shift it's a it's a tidal wave shift it's like it's like a complete typhoon change in the whole world of health today the entire pharmaceutical world is not curing anything it's palliative You get diabetes, I sell you insulin every day of your life for the rest of your life. It's an amazing business model. You take just about any drugs out there, they're all designed not to cure your problem, but to maintain you for the rest of your life. And now a concept comes, that concept is curative. I assist your body to repair. Once that is done, it's done. So it's for a short amount of time. It is a a huge shift in the way that the pharmaceutical world is working. Not only a huge shift, but it's also, if I put it from that angle, it's probably a huge threat to their survival with this palliative model that they have. So I think that they're extremely reluctant to go in that direction when they have no choice to go in that direction because the whole field of stem cell, the space is growing so much and it is showing that it's curative as an approach, I think that then we will see them coming forward with those kinds of compounds because they already exist. So I think that down the road, it's almost unavoidable that it will get there, but it's going to get there because the market is forcing it and they will probably get there kicking and screaming.
2: Yeah, wow. So basically... It's going to take a, a different zeitgeist from the popular culture for that to happen? Like it's gonna have to meet the demand of the people?
0: I think that when the utilization of stem cells grows worldwide, and with some of the countries that are trying to prevent it, the US being in one, but you know, Europe, France, Germany, all of those, as the the stem cell space grows and is demonstrating more and more. That that modality is different. It's bringing something else that is normally an exception in the medical space, which is cure, curative, instead of palliative. When that grows, and it, because if you think about it right now, cure, we use the term, you know, in our language, but but it's virtually absent from the medical space. We don't cure a lot of things. We just give you a better quality of life with that thing so when when cure starts to really become a thing then i think that that is when that tidal shift is going to to slowly take place in our society and the beauty is that yeah the pharmaceutical model will have a response to that because they have those molecules that can do that in the body by tapping into stem cells they either have not realized that they have it because it's not how they think or they're waiting for the right time to to basically say, okay, now we have no choice. That's the only direction for us to go. And then they will come out for these. I, I think, I'm just speculating here, because if they knew what they had in their arsenal, they're really good at not releasing it. Yeah.
2: Well, I know this is a big question. I want to be respectful of your time. What about something like cancer? Is there research on stem cells and cancer?
0: It's a very delicate question. So it may take a few minutes here to answer that one properly or fully. And and the, 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 the confusion comes from the fact that a stem cell is a cell that multiplies endlessly and can become cells of any tissue. And a cancer cell is a cell that multiplies endlessly and can become cells of any tissue. So you see, it's the same definition, so, so to the point where if you get really like the virulent cells, like the really the problematic cell in the tumor, they're calling them cancer stem cells. So they're so similar that that's how they they call them, and it leads to this idea that if you stimulate and then you and then think of embryonic stem cells, that they're so stem cell like their stem cell ness is through the roof, and they lead to cancer. So it gives you this idea that yeah, if you stimulate stem cells, then you can very much stimulate cancer, and it's not the case with adult stem cells. Adult stem cells. They lose that, they don't have that property of developing cancer, at least the one from the bone marrow. And what we have seen over time is more that when you inject stem cells, or even with what a well, first, inject stem cells, people go because they have, they want to see a stem cell injection for their shoulder, for their diabetes, their Parkinson, whatever it is. And then they just happen to have breast cancer, prostate cancer, or whatever. And then six weeks later, suddenly their cancer has improved a lot. It is very common in the world of stem cell research and stem cell injection. And I think that the mechanism mechanism of action is that stem cells are attracted to tumors. When they migrate in the tumor, they proliferate, but then they differentiate. When they differentiate, they do what stem cells do. They talk to other stem cells. They coordinate this process within the population of stem cells in the area. So that basically makes the cancer stem cells differentiate And when it has differentiated, it can no longer proliferate. So you stop the tumor growth. I believe that that's the mechanism of action.
2: Oh, that's interesting. That's your theory?
0: I think that the future of stem cell application in tumor is that, yeah, stem cells by themselves have anti-tumor properties. And the beauty here, and I am not saying that stem regen is going to suppress tumor growth. I, I want to be clear, I am not saying that. What I am saying here, though, here, that is a very interesting observation, is that a lot of the plants that we have documented for having an effect on stem cells have historically been used for cancer in folks' medicine. Like, Sea buckthorn berry in Tibetan medicine, Mongolian medicine, traditional Chinese medicine—it has been used historically for lung cancer. For example, ficoidan. That has been used, that we use for stem cell release, has been studied a lot for its proper its properties on cancer. The blue green algae that that we use, that we have documented, st- uh, triggers stem cell release. We did a study in mice to make sure that it was not going to st- to stimulate tumor growth. We injected human breast cancer cell in mice, and then in the group in which we we gave ten times. The recommend, recommended amount of blue-green algae for stem cells you know, that we do in humans, and we got a 30% reduction in tumor growth. You look at all these plants that historically have been used for, sorry, that we have documented stimulate stem cell release. And what we see is that historically, they've all been documented for their benefit on cancer. I am not saying stem regen is going to be good for cancer. What I'm saying is that so much data is pointing in the direction that when you release stem cells from the bone marrow, if anything, they have they, they can bring benefits for tumor.
2: That is so fascinating. When you say injecting Earlier, you're saying in, talking about injecting stem cells, like people injecting it. Are you referring to people, you know, going outside the U.S. and injecting actual stem cells, or are you talking about
0: exosomes? No, I'm talking about yeah, people going in in uh, outside of the country and getting those kind of treatments outside of the country. But understand that now these. There is there is a lot of cloudiness around this in America, in the United States, with a lot of message saying you cannot do this in, in America. You cannot. It's not totally true. You can do it. There's some limitation and it's more political than anything else. Let's not get into that. But there is a landmark court case that was decided by a judge in last September, so 2022, that basically said adipose stem cells can be used here in the country as a treatment for people. So you can get adipose stem cells now injected systemically in the United States. It's totally possible and it's totally okay.
2: They can be injected only systemically or to a certain injury area?
0: I know systemically. I don't know about into an injury, but I believe that you can as well.
2: In a few weeks, I'm getting exosome injections. Does that have valid data behind it? Should I um, pair it with Stimrogen when I do so?
0: Absolutely. So exosomes are, when I talked about how stem cells, when they migrate into a tissue, they start to release growth factors, like they talk to each other. That communication is exosomes. They communicate through exosomes. So exosome is sort of the, is the language of stem cells. So what we're injecting, what you will get injected is the language of stem cells. So it's, it talks to stem cells and it stimulates your own stem cells. So, so that means these exosomes will leverage whatever stem cells you have. And you always have stem cells. So that's why they work. But they work better when they have more stem cells to talk to. So you basically release the heck out of your bone marrow. So take, I don't know, take two capsules. So let's say you have that, 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 that these exosomes done at some point in the afternoon. Get two capsules in the morning. And then two hours before your treatment of exosomes, take four capsules of stem regen and then and go after your treatment of exosomes, and then do more later in the day, some in the day after, do more like in a short amount of time, let's say within those two, three days after exosomes, because these exosomes, like any language, it's short-lived. It doesn't, it's, it's not there for very long. So you maximize the number of stem cells that they can talk to, and you will definitely amplify the outcome of, of that treatment.
2: Okay. Well, well, this has been incredible. My brain is so like, stimulated right now <laughs> was a, this was absolutely amazing so again for listeners I cannot recommend enough getting Stemregen now so you can go to stemregen.co s-t-e-m-r-e-g-e-n dot c-o and the coupon code Melanie Avalon will get you 15% off your first order again thank you so much Christian for that well this has been so absolutely incredible the last thing I ask guests on this show and it's just because I realized more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for?
0: Oh, my goodness. I mean, I'm grateful for so many things. I'm grateful first for my wife. She's the most wonderful human being that I know. Then after that, I'm grateful for everybody that is helping me bring this whole thing forward. I'm grateful for this having been put on my plate. I was never looking to be a stem cell scientist. Even to this day, I would say, Quest for the soul is more important to me than this old scientific development, but it's been put on my plate. I see how much it can change lives. So I'm very grateful that I've been given this mission because it is so rewarding with the lives that are being changed. And hey, grateful for you to have been put on my path to help in that that mission.
2: Awesome. Well, I love it so much. I as well am so grateful because, like I said, I, I've been wanting to learn more about this, and I'm just so grateful to meet you and Stephanie and everything that you're doing. And you're just really beautiful souls. And so I'm just really, really honored to have this conversation and share it with the audience. And I can't wait for for people to get stem region and start experiencing all the all the potential benefits. How can people best follow your work, or what links would you like to put out there for people?
0: I'm on the Instagram. I was convinced to go on TikTok as well, so my handle is Stem Cell Christian because I thought if I say Christian Droppo, most people could not spell my last name. So Stem Cell Christian, and I keep answering questions. Anytime I get questions, you know, I answer them and I put that up there. So there's a good database there of of answers to various questions on on our website StemRegen.co. There's a uh, FAQ section, and we keep implementing it here by putting as much answers to various questions that are coming Coming in, So these are good places to get information. All the science is in the ingredients section of our website, the studies that have been done. And as you know, Melanie, if, if anybody is interested to get sort of the whole story of everything that we've talked about today, cracking the stem cell code, I wrote it at the time, and still to a large extent to this day, it was the only place, and that's why I wrote it, nowhere was the description of what is your stem cells in your body? What is their story? What do they do? If they have such regenerative potential, what do they mean in your life? And that was the purpose of that book. And so again, to get that information, I think cracking your stem cell code is a great source for all that.
2: Awesome. Well, for listeners, we will put links to everything in the show notes. And yes, the show notes will have a transcript. I think people are really going to want to to reference that. So again, the show notes will be at melanieavalon.com slash cells. Well, thank you so much, Christian, for your time. This has been amazing. Again, your book was so enlightening. This conversation was amazing. I'm so grateful for Stim Regen and it was incredible meeting you and Stephanie. So Thank you. Just thank you. I can't wait to see you hopefully at the next conference or before then.
0: Looking forward to it as well. Thank you.
2: Awesome. Have a good day.
1: Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine? Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com feel free to contact me at podcast at melanieavalon.com and always remember you got this